0: I'll turn towards the scripture as I read it real quick. 1 Peter 5, 8 says Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. Thank you again that we get to come together to worship you, to glorify you, that we set aside our time. We put everything else on the back burner because you are the most important thing. You are the reason that we are here. You are the reason we were created for a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. God, would your gospel message go out into hearts and to minds today? Would it change lives? Would it not be me speaking up here, God, but your Holy Spirit? Use me as a willing vessel, Father. Put my agendas aside, I only want people to hear your word because that's what changes lives. And all God's people said, you may be seated. So last week we talked about Advent. We were still in our Advent series. That is the reason, if you guys haven't noticed, all of the lights are down. It's dark in here. We did that intentionally. Um, The Advent season is this. It's the time in between. It's the kingdom now, but also not yet. It's the season of waiting. There's two advent periods. There's the advent period where the Israelites, and we sang about it today in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, there's a time when Israel was pleading out for God to return to rescue them. And we know that he came in the form of an infant, in human form. But now there's this time where Jesus has come, but he's gone, and he's going to one day come back again, and we are in a season of waiting. We still experience suffering. We still experience evil. So who knows that experiencing life, it's... it's it's a much bigger experience to experience light when you've when you spent time in darkness. If I'm in a room with all the lights shut off and it's completely black and then I flip the light on, how many know that's much more impactful, right, than just pretending that it's light all the time? That is the reason that we're celebrating or doing Advent this way. Because as Christians, we need to be realistic about the time that we live in. So, today I'm going to be talking about this. We're going to be talking about the problem of evil, What is evil? This week we're going to talk about evil. Why is it here? How do we explain it? There is hardly a worldview that denies the presence of evil. But it's hard for people to put language to it. It exists, but it isn't part of creation. Many of us have experienced things in this world that seem otherworldly and not of God and also not of nature. Humans doing things to other humans that are beyond disturbing... That is impossible. Things that are impossible for us to for us to rationalize. For a doctor to reach inside the womb of a, a woman and crush the bones of a human life in an abortion is evil. Men taking advantage of women physically and raping them is evil. Husbands and wives divorcing one another, crushing the opposite party because they've lost the feeling, is evil child pornography, molestation. Millions of people in our world are sex trafficked today. It's evil. Millions suffer from depression and feel like something has gripped them that they can't get control of. It's evil. Suicide is at an all-time high in our country. And it's evil. There isn't a person that denies the existence of evil. Something that isn't human, something that's deeper than that, that's stronger than the human will. It exists, and it's alive, and all of us have experienced it. There's something recently in the last couple of years that probably affected a lot of people in this room. It affected me as well. Does anyone remember the story of Briasia Terrell? A 10-year-old girl who was staying the night, if I remember the story correctly, was staying the night at her brother's dad, so somewhat kind of related to this man, Somehow this guy shoots a 10-year-old girl, takes her out to some field, and leaves her for dead. Imagine, how do you even rationalize that in your brain? To look at a 10-year-old child and be able to kill them. And we know that this man was previously convicted of child molestation, of a 5-year-old. Evil. There's something bigger than just the human and the human will at play. In that story, there's something bigger than us at play in this world. We learned last week. We know that our we are to live a repentant lifestyle. That we know that in and of ourselves, there's still corruption that Jesus is working out and changing. That He alone is our righteousness. But there's something else at work, other than just us. It's evil. Now, can we progress on our own? For years, people wanted to pretend the Enlightenment. know the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment. Yes, all the hands raise up. You guys have all heard of the Enlightenment? Thank you. Okay. So we thought through reason and logic and science that we could maybe, we could progress as a human race. That we had had life figured out. That we would continue to get better and better and better. And listen, this is still the ideology that's behind a lot of liberalism. A lot of progressivism. And this is not a, please don't take that as a political statement of being like pro republic. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying a lot of liberals is be ideology behind that is that we think that as a human race, we can get better on our own. The problem was, is the 20th century was the bloodiest century that we've ever had in the existence of the human race. A hundred plus million people died in Mao's China and Hitler's regime. A hundred million plus people. There's evil. We have not in and of ourselves, we cannot overcome the evil in our world. There are three agents at work. We need to be. We need to all understand that the three agents are this: God, man, and Satan. For those of you that have heard the term free will before, you'll often hear me push back against the term free will. We don't have a free will. What we have is a will with two forces that are both trying to influence it: God and Satan. We have a will. We have the ability to make decisions, but we have the devil whispering in one ear, and we have God whispering in the other. We've all seen the cartoons. It's true, and every single one of us experience it. There's three agents at work. Now, our our power against the enemy, the word of God teaches us that we are powerless. You've got to get this part. We are powerless against the enemy, in and of ourselves. The Bible says that in the end of ourselves, we are considered children of wrath. Controlled by the enemy who's the ruler of the world. Ephesians 2 3 says this Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's important that we understand our true dilemma that we are not in and of ourselves able to withstand the power of the evil in the world, that it is constantly at war for our minds and our hearts. That deception and evil are lurking for who it can devour. Like a lion looking for prey. It is a mistake to think that you can resist it or defeat it on your own. It's a mi- mistake to think that because you are saved, the enemy won't attack you. It's a mistake to not understand the spirit of the world and that there's a real enemy of evil who we are at war with. Now in this time of waiting, we start, start in the darkness and in reality. We recognized last week that our job was to... Live a repentant lifestyle, that our posture was to look internally and prepare our hearts for the King, to recognize our need for him and want him to come. This week, we recognize the evil powers at work. That our posture is both of repentance and resistance. We look forward to the King of our for the return of our King when He once and for all will rid the world of evil. So our scripture for today is this. I'm gonna read it one more time. Be sober. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Know that the same experience of suffering is required of your brotherhood throughout the world. So, in the first part of that scripture, it says this. It says, be watchful. Be prayerful. The first thing we need to notice in this passage is that the call of a Christian is to be sober and be watchful. C.S. Lewis says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall into about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. The prior, right, to not believe in them at all is what I see most in the church. Many of us know that Satan is real, but we don't pay much attention to that reality. <clears throat> it is a great problem if we don't realize that that he is waging war for our souls and will send, a, will send attacks against us. His goal is deceiving with false truths that can go against the word of God. Adam and Eve failed to be watchful and prayerful in the garden. When the serpent came to deceive, rather than holding on to the promise that God had given to them, they fell to their own desire to be like God and decide for themselves what was right and what was true. We need to understand that Satan and evil are behind so many of the atrocious and evil things that human beings do. So much of the evil in the world is a result of humans giving into the lies of the enemy. Your adversary, listen, this is the next part of the scripture. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Peter uses an analogy of a lion prowling around for prey, seeking someone to devour. The readers of the original scriptures in the time when Peter wrote this would have had a di- different picture of a lion than we do today. Most of our experiences are like in a zoo or something. They lived in a time when literally the Roman Colosseum, they would throw people into the Colosseum and Ryan's, lions would devour them. This was common practice and something that the, the original apostles, when they wrote this, would recognize. The Bible often uses imagery like this to help us up, understand what we're up against. The word portrays Satan as a ravenous beast, wanting to devour someone. I believe the Bible uses imagery and poetry to help us, to help us understand. Mere words don't do it sometimes. Fleming Rutledge says this in her book on Advent, that she doesn't mind that children are raised believing in things like Santa Claus and elves and everything else, because it helps them to understand the kingdom. It's practice for them to understand transcendence. As humans, we're called to believe in something that you can't see with your physical eye. But what's funny about it, you can't see it. You can't see the devil with your physical eye, but no one in this room will deny that there's a real evil in the world. So when you think of Satan, the Bible, the word of God wants us to see him as a lion prowling around for prey, looking for someone that he can devour. That's what we're up against. No offense, if a lion squares off with you one-on-one, you better hope you have someone to come help. You're probably not winning that battle. Can I get an amen for that? Now, the next part of the scripture says this. He's seeking someone to devour. Satan, the lion, is going around trying to find those whom he can devour. There's something to pay attention to in this verse. He's trying to find those he can devour. Devour, Which means there are those that he cannot devour. Did you hear that? It is obvious by reading that those he can devour are those who will not resist him. The people who don't think they are at risk, those that are self-righteous and think they are beyond deception or beyond the devil influencing their thoughts or beliefs, those are just like Adam was in the beginning. The worst place you can be in is to walk as a Christian and not to recognize that there's a devil, but also to be the person that's self-righteous and think that you're above the devil attacking you. He can attack anyone. There's something that really bothered me a couple years ago. A couple of years ago, I was asked by the leader of our church network, Confluence, to go out and help a church in Seattle. Now we flew out there. We went to help a church. His name's Bo. He leads one of our churches out there in Seattle. and He was going through an awful time. A very prominent pastor in the Seattle area took his own life unexpectedly, killed himself. This guy was an extremely powerful, impactful, preached the word of God, preached the gospel like no one else. He was a Navy SEAL. He was absolutely an unbelievable human being, and he absolutely shocked everybody and took his own life. Somebody preaching the same gospel that I preach to you every single week that understood the devil, that understood Jesus, that understood all of it, and had little kids at home, took his own life. Nobody is beyond the attacks of Satan. And you can't tell me that Satan is not at play when it comes to suicide. That is he he attacks the mind of believers and he can get in there. And if you don't recognize it and you don't resist it, you can get to a very, very dark place And I've seen it so many times in my life. The point is Satan is seeking someone to devour. He prowls around like a lion. You nor I are invisible. Now we need to ask the question, what is our stance in this season of waiting? What is our stance against the powers of evil in this season of Advent? The next part of the scripture says, resist him, firm in your faith. Our call as we wait for the return of our king is that of resistance. We are watchful and prayerful. We are firm in our faith. Firm is the word serios. It means solid and steadfast and patient. The call for us is to recognize when there are attacks from the enemy and then to be firm in our faith to Jesus Christ and the word of God. There are many ways in which the enemy attacks. And one of the ways C.S. Lewis so brilliantly expresses this in screw tape letters, if you've never read that book, He has a section where he talks about getting in the mind of the person in the seats at the church. And he says something like this. I'm just going to paraphrase. He says the best way to attack a believer at church is this. Get his mind on everything around him. On the person singing off key in front of you. On the pastor that thinks he's all that he's not. Who laughed? Right? (laughs) Spencer? No. Uh, on on the musty smell, on all of the things other than the eternal fact of what the church actually is. That it's the greatest movement for good since it started. That it is the world leader in philanthropy. That no matter what resistance has come against it, nothing's been able to stop it. Nobody, get their minds on everything else. That's what the devil loves to do. I mean, he does it to me all the time. I'm sitting in the front row today, and I'm watching like Cam, and he accidentally started to pad, and Sam's over here like shaking his head, and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm worshiping Jesus. Stop looking at them. He loves to get our mind on everything else, on the production on all the crap. Do we ever stop to think that he's among us, that we're worshiping the living God, that he's doing something significantly greater. Listen, that he's doing something significantly greater than you or I. I'm nothing but a fallen man. You're nothing but fallen people. We're sinful. The only good in us is Jesus Christ himself. Let's get our eyes on that reality. Now, other areas I want to go through that the devil uses to attack us is this offense. Offense. Man, this is a big one. Satan loves to use offense. I find myself often listening to the lies of the enemy and believing the worst about people instead of the best. This person wants to hurt me. They don't care about me at all. I have seen lives ripped apart over offense. I have seen people take silly situations and quit churches, quit families, break relationships. Listen, when are we going to wake up and realize that is an attack from the enemy? That, yeah, you're right, we're all messy. We're all messed up. I'm going to offend you. You're going to offend me. Our poor little feelings are going to get hurt. But let's keep showing up. And believe that God can change me and God can change someone else. You know, I wish you guys would stop clapping and just like yell amen. Yeah, see, we need to get that going. Get me all messed up when you clap so long. Now, offense, an obvious one. Another one is this, insecurity. This is something I've never been. I was raised in a a family that instilled security in me. I've never been an insecure person. You know me, I'm a very confident person, a little overconfident probably. But I watch people who maybe were raised in different circumstances than me, and the devil just riddles them with insecurity. He speaks in their ear that they will never be nothing, that no one likes them, that they can't hang out with the cool kids, that, that what can God use me for? I know that that's some of the people sitting in these seats. Can I tell you that is the enemy? That is a lie? But listen, it's a sin. And I know that's hard. Insecurity is a sin because God made you for a purpose. We need people that listen to God more than the devil. We need people that listen to say, hey, you have a big calling on your life. When you hear those thoughts of you're not nobody, that maybe you're the guy cleaning the toilet. Maybe, I don't know what it is. That is an important job, as important as me preaching the gospel message according to the word of God. There will be people that show up. We had people, it was a Terry and showed up this week and they're cleaning the church, I would not be surprised if they are in a better spot in heaven than I am preaching the gospel. Amen. The point is, get him out, resist him. You were made for something big. The other one is this, self-righteousness. The whisper in your ear that you don't need God, you don't need church. You don't need this community. It's messy. All these people are messed up. Listen, I say it a lot. I love this quote. We are a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. If you want to find a church that isn't messy, you should go start your hunt. You're going to be hunting for a while, probably till Jesus comes back. There is no such thing as an unmessy church. There's no such thing as a church where people aren't leaving because they get offended. That's what I will fight to build until the day that I die, but it doesn't exist. The self-righteousness is something that I believe the enemy does. And honestly, this is what happens. When you're self-righteous, you don't need the church. Sometimes you just go and you do it when you have time and it's a thing on the side. There will be seasons in your life where the devil won't attack you. He's like, you know what, I don't need to attack this person. I got him right where I want him. I got this person exactly where I want him. He doesn't think he needs God, so I'll leave him alone. He can enjoy his little life and die, and what he did with his life meant nothing for the glory of God. That's really harsh, but that is true. The reason that I'm hard so often from this pulpit is I'm trying to get all of us, including myself, to see a bigger need for Jesus Christ. I want you to live a life that means so much more than you think you can live. Now, this enemy, these whispers, these thoughts, I said it earlier, we do not have the power or the ability to defeat the enemy on our own, He is more powerful than you are. Has anyone ever just woke up in a funk? You just like it, and you like almost can't shake it. You're like something's wrong. Or anyone anyone dealt with depression? To be honest, anxiety, things you can't shake it. It's more powerful than you are. We, that's the first thing to understand as a Christian. Number one is all of us are vulnerable to an attack. Number two is you are not powerful enough to overcome it in yourself. It is clear in Ephesians that to not be saved and separated from Christ, we are dead in our sins. We don't recognize our need for him. We don't see his beauty. We fall to the attacks of Satan and the bondage he has put over our minds and our hearts. For some of us, we were walking dead then. For those that have not yet accepted him, and I know this is harsh, the word of God says you are walking dead. We need Jesus. Our call as believers in the season of Advent is to join in the, in the war for the world. With Christ as our leader and to abide in him for help. To be prayerful and watchful. To recognize the thoughts and attacks that come against us. To know when that thought that comes into my mind goes against the word of God and his promises of who I am are an attack. The word of God says to take every thought captive. Your job and my job is to resist or recognize and to resist it, to take it captive, to rest in Jesus and let him fight the battle. He is stronger than the enemy. Now, there's a a doctrine, or there's an atonement theory, basically. This is a little heady, theological thing for you guys. It's called Christus Victor. You don't know. There's two theories, really. There's penal substitution of atonement, which is the fact that Jesus was our replacement for our sin when he died on the cross. He was the lamb, the ultimate sacrifice that died in our place. But there's another one There's called Christ's victor, and it's this, is that he died and he broke the powers of the enemy. Here's a definition for you from Robert Cole. Christ's victor is the element of the atoning work of Christ that emphasizes the triumph of Christ over the evil powers of the world, through which he rescues his people and establishes a new relationship between God and the world. We see throughout the New Testament Christ overcoming the powers of Satan and evil. In Matthew 4, we see Jesus being tempted just as we were by Satan. Yet he does something we are incapable of doing on our own. He successfully resists him. What you find fascinating in the verse is the enemy's use of scripture. He's smarter than you. He knows the word of God better than you. Jesus Christ came and died for more than just atoning for your sins. He also came back to defeat the devil in evil in the world once and for all. Throughout his ministry, he had encounters with possession and evil and he defeated it. He has bound the enemy and one day he will put him where he belongs for eternity. But now here's the the tough question some of you may be asking. Maybe believers and non-believers, you may be asking this question. Why did he not just get rid of him once and for all when he came back? Why is there still evil? Why is there still a devil? Why does he allow him to attack us? The next part of the verse says this, know that the same experience of suffering is required of your brotherhood throughout the world. We know that scripture teaches that all things work together for those that believe. The requirement of suffering by evil, in short, is because he loves you too much to leave you the same. That these attacks on us may feel awful, that we may go through seasons and days where our minds just can't get a break, that life seems to be falling apart and nothing is going right, that something evil must be at work. Maybe this scripture helps shed some light on it. 1 Peter 4, 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. This is no surprise. The devil hates that you are in Christ. He thinks he has a chance, but God is using it for your good. He's growing you. You will learn to trust him more and more as he brings you out of one trial after another. He is molding and shaping you to be able to withstand the holiness of God one day in eternity. In a sense, he's whipping the evil out of all of us. Ignatius, an early church father. I love this. This is a quote from Ignatius in 120 AD. If you don't know what that means, it's 120 years after the death of Christ. He was close to the time of Christ. Watch here how he sees the devil, but also watch here how he sees evil being used for his own good. He says this, Let me be given to the wild beasts, for through them I can attain unto God. I am God's wheat, and I am ground by the teeth of wild beasts, that I may be found pure bread. Come fire and cross and grapplings with the wild beasts, wrenching of bones, hacking of limbs, crushing of my whole body. Come cruel tortures of the devil to assail me. Only be it mine attain unto Jesus Christ. God is not interested in fake relationship with you. He's not interested in coming back and using a laser beam and saying, love me. He's interested in shaping and molding you through trials in the world to where you get to a place you actually truly love him. And unfortunately, that requires suffering. The call of a Christian is to suffer. But one day, it's going to all be worth it. Band, if you guys could come. Now listen, I'm going to read the rest of this right after Peter. Verses 5 through, I'm sorry, chapter 5, 10 and 11. The end of this verse says this. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The good news of the gospel is although we will have attacks from Satan, God is using it for our good. It says right here in scripture that he's using it to strengthen and establish us. That it will only last a little while. That it's a season and it will be over soon will we honor and glorify him through it? Will we stand and resist the enemy or will we let him wreak havoc on our minds and make us doubt? The world and the people around us need Christians who stand up to the attacks of the enemy and resist him. This is when we see glimpses of the kingdom of God now. When people don't give in to the rest of the world and the prince of the power of the air, but they confidently stand in God and resist him. In this season of Advent, while we wait for the final return of our King, my question for you is, will you be resistant? Do you know and believe that God is working all of what's going on in your life for your good? I would challenge you to talk to those who have really walked through the Lord and throughout this life, and they will tell you there are seasons that are really hard in the Christian life. There are attacks on the enemy. But listen, acknowledge it. See it. Be prayerful. Know that there's a real enemy that's alive and he's at war against your mind. And resist it. You know how you resist it? You know that you can't win and beat him on your own. That you have to get with God and let him fight that battle. It means getting in the closet by yourself with God and saying, God, I know my mind is overwhelmed. I feel the evil. I feel him coming against my family, against my house, against my mind, against my life. And I want to stand with you. You are stronger. you guys stand up with me together? I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He says this, Jesus uses our trials to wean us from earth and woo us to heaven. Did you see that? Jesus uses our trials to wean us from earth and woo us to heaven. What the enemy went meant for bad, God uses for good. You guys pray for me. Father, we thank you so much. God, that you are stronger That you came and did what we couldn't do You defeated the enemy You have felt the temptation You have felt the pressure You have suffered worse than we will ever suffer But you are inside of us You are living with us You are right next to us You are walking through all of it with us God, we thank you for the call in our lives That you've called us to yourself, Lord That we have the opportunity God, to live with you now, but also for eternity. I just pray strength over the people in this house to resist the enemy. Your promise is that if you resist the enemy, he will flee from them. And I just pray divine power and strength over these people, God, that they would have the ability to match that call. And all God's people said.